Welcome to Community Hope Podcast. We pray that the Word of Christ would dwell in you richly as you listen and that you would be encouraged in Christ. Good morning. Uh, We're continuing our our series in the book of Mark, and uh, we're going to be looking at Mark 13. And as I was preparing this message and just thinking about it, uh, and, you know, Bobby Knight died this week, and if, you'd have to be a basketball fan to, uh, to know this, but uh, Bobby Knight was just a colorful guy. I, I always just got a kick out of what he said. Sometimes his players literally got kicks out of him because he was, yeah, he, he would go berserk sometimes. But in his uh, book, The Power of Negative Thinking, which is kind of typical the way Bobby Knight approached things, uh, he said this, the key is not the will to win, Everybody has that. It's the will to prepare to win that is important. And he was all about preparation. I think that's why he was so successful as a basketball coach. And he just drilled that into his players. And this chapter, Mark 13, that we're going to look at, that's Jesus' goal in in this chapter. The teaching that he gave his disciples and then by extension to us is one that we need to hear to prepare for what's going to be happening. Um, and probably some of the things that we're going to be talking about here are starting to happen and, and will happen in our lifetimes. So we're going to look about uh, at Mark 13, and it's specifically what Jesus said about his return. And so uh, we start out in verse 1, and it says, as Jesus was leaving the temple that day, this is said week right before he goes to the cross, Right? So he's leaving the temple that day. One of his disciples said, Teacher, look at these magnificent buildings. Look at the impressive stones in the walls. You know, this is, they were talking about that Jerusalem temple that took 46 years to build. And I've read some stuff about that, how impressive it was. Like the stones, some of these stones were like 50 feet wide, okay? And um, 25 feet uh, 25 feet long, well, actually 50 feet wide, I'm sorry, 25 feet uh, wide and 15 feet high. I mean, they were just huge. They talk about modern construction uh, equipment would have a hard time lifting these particular stones. I don't know how they did it then. And it had a veneer of of actual gold. Uh, When the sun would shine on it, it was just blinding. And then part of the veneer was marble, so that from a distance it looked like there was snow covering the building. It was considered one of the great wonders of the world. And the disciples are blown away by this. They've spent most of their time in northern Israel, and they're seeing this thing, and they're going, wow. And uh, Jesus replied, yes, look at these these great buildings, but they will be completely demolished. Not one stone will be left on top of another. And he's, he's flashing forward to something that happened about 35 years later when the Romans came, uh, attacked Jerusalem, and they burned the temple. And when they burned the temple, what happened is the gold melted and it went down in the cracks between those stones. And that's why one stone was not left on another because there was, the Romans went, well, we've got to salvage this gold. And so they made sure that the stones were all like knocked down. And Jesus is just like, wow, this thing's going to be like totally destroyed. Um, this, you know, this is, you know, people try to imagine what that temple looked like back then. And what, what happens here then is uh, later they cross the valley 
And they go to the Mount of Olives, which is right across from Jerusalem there. And you can see the, the uh, you know, Jerusalem there across the valley. And it says, Peter, James, John, and Andrew came to him privately and asked him, tell us, when will all this happen? What sign will show us that these things are about to be fulfilled? And so they're going like, okay, what's going to happen here? Now, Jesus doesn't uh, specifically go into a lot of stuff about the destruction of the temple. In this chapter, if you want to read about that, in, in Luke 20, there's more about that. But he uses this as a springboard to talk about his return. By the way, this is the view from the Mount of Olives to Jerusalem. A lot of those buildings, obviously, were not there when Jesus was around. But there, you know, there's a valley between, and you can see a cross and start thinking about that temple. And then Jesus replies, and the first thing he says here is, don't let anyone mislead you, for many will come in my name claiming I am the Messiah. They will deceive many. Jesus is really concerned here because he doesn't want his followers, and this, is, this includes us, right? He doesn't want his followers to be deceived in the coming times of trouble. He's going like, I don't want you guys to fall for the deceptions that are going to be occurring because these are going to be really, really tricky, really, really deceptive. Uh, this is kind of a weird analogy here, but I thought I would, would just use this to kind of describe this. Maybe some of you have actually like bought Sudafed. I know I have. Uh, you know, this is supposed to be good for sinus colds, right? And I remember back in the day, you know, years and years ago, I remember using that for a real bad sinus cold, and it worked. Uh, but recently, in the last like 10, 12 years, it's not very effective. And there's a reason for that. See, the original ingredient of Sudafed was the pseudoephedrine. I don't know if I'm pronouncing it right but it was an effective ingredient. And then the FDA discovered, and this was back in, I don't know, 2010 or something like that, they started realizing that this particular ingredient was very uh, desirable for people who are cooking meth. And they're going like, you know what, we gotta pull this stuff off the market. So they put a lot of pressure on the pharmaceutical industry to find another ingredient that, so that this particular thing would not be so available. So what's been used for the last 12 years is a different ingredient. You can see it on the picture in the box. Um, this doesn't work. And the FDA is going like, you know what? This thing is totally ineffective. So we're really suggesting that this whole product just get taken off the market. By the way, the campaign against meth cooking didn't work either, did it? <laughs> I mean, so it was like a lose-lose situation for everybody concerned. But just imagine, this is what is going to happen here. There's going to be substitutes for Jesus. And he's the only hope. He's the only way. He's the way. He's the truth. He's the life. This is where we have our promise for, for an eternal future that we don't have any, we don't have to fear. It's like, but instead, we're going to have this like counterfeit uh, and all these counterfeits running around and this deception. And so, you know, this turned out to be a placebo, but this is going to be worse than a placebo. Just imagine if Sudaf the new Sudafed killed you. That's what he's concerned about. So he's going like, you've got to know ahead of time so that you can be ready and you can stand strong and stand on my word and avoid being fooled and, and get lost. 
And so he, he starts talking about the sequence of events that are going to happen before his return. And I, I can see three parts to this. And the first part is what he calls the beginning of birth pains. So verse 7, he says, And you will hear of wars and threats of wars, but don't panic. Yes, these things must take place, but the end won't follow immediately. Nation will go to war against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in many parts of the world as well as famines. But this is only the first of the birth pains with more to come. In verse 8, when it talks about nation going up against nation, when the word nation there doesn't really apply to like political entities as much as to like people groups or ethnic groups. And so he's saying what's going to happen here is there's going to be wars, there's going to be kingdom against kingdom, but there's going to be like ethnic fighting that's going to take place more and more. So think about like Rwanda some years ago where the Hutus and the Tutsis began battling and there was a genocide of like a million people died in that. Think about like the Serbs and the Croats who really speak the same sounding language even though it's spelled differently. Uh, but they, again, fighting and killing one another. And then you think about what's happening right now in the Middle East, you know, where there's just, you know, where there's strife between different people groups that are going on. Um, you know, this is kind of a little piece of trivia, but I thought you'd find this interesting. Remember back to the uh, flood story in Genesis 6? Remember God is going like, wow, it's terrible. It says, so God said to Noah, I am going to put an end to all people, for the earth is filled with violence because of them. If you look up the word violence in a Hebrew dictionary, it's the word Hamas. That's the Hebrew word for violence, also translated cruelty. Now, in Arabic, Hamas means zeal or struggle. You know, so you've got these, the word being used by two different people groups right there. You know, talking about their different, different ways of looking at this and what's going on. But there's violence, right, that's between these two different people groups here. And Jesus says that's going to be a reality there. And then he says there's going to be earthquakes in many parts of the world, famines. But he says this is the first of the birth pains with more to come. And I think the idea of, like, beginning birth pains... I think that all of you who are moms, you know about this, don't you? The old Braxton Hicks contractions. It's like, here you are, like, I don't know, know what this is like, but I heard this from my wife. And this is like, you're in your eighth month, right, of pregnancy, and then all of a sudden you get these contractions. Like, where's this coming from all of a sudden? And it's like the tendency is, from what I've heard, is like first-time mom is going, could this be it? Maybe we ought to get to the hospital or something. And you realize through experience, you go like, not time to go yet. You know, there's plenty more that's going to come. It's going to build up. But this is so, you know, the Lord has constructed, you know, women here so that this can start happening and slowly begin this process, which is going to become very intense later on. And Jesus says, this is just the beginning of birth pains. But one of the features of this that he, I think he wants to get across to all of us is that there's going to be an increase in hostility toward believers. And so he goes on and he says, when these things begin to happen, watch out. You will be handed over to the local councils and beaten in the synagogues. 
You will stand trial before governors and kings because you are my followers. But this will be your opportunity to tell them about me. For the good news must first be preached to all nations. But when you're arrested and stand trial, don't worry in advance about what to say. Just say what God tells you at that time. For it is not you who will be speaking, but the Holy Spirit. Now, I think this is kind of interesting here because he's saying, you know, they're going to come against you. There's going to be this hatred, this harassment. The authorities are going to come against you. But he says, you know what? I'm going to use this as a way for them to get filled in on what's going on. I want to show them the truth. truth here. And you know, the history of the Christian church has been one where a lot of missions work has been done by Christians who are under the gun, who are fleeing to one place, getting arrested in another, and the word of God gets spread, the gospel gets shared with people. Here's just a, a great example of this promise about being told what to say in advance uh, coming true. This is Dr. Pavi Razanen. Um, she is a, um, a member of parliament in Finland, a medical doctor. She has five kids. She's been in the parliament for 28 years. And recently, uh, she was arrested. And the reason she was arrested was because she put out a tweet that questioned whether the uh, Lutheran Church of Finland, which is the state church, should be sponsoring Pride Month. And so she's going, I, I don't think this is really like a biblical kind of thing. I don't think this, this should be done. So the authorities began to investigate this as a hate crime. And so they went back in all of her material and they found, whoa, back in 1995, she published a pamphlet talking, saying that marriage should be between one man and one woman. And then she had also you know, made some public declarations to, along the same line about the biblical take on sexuality. And so they arrested her. She, spent, she was, uh, spent 13 hours being interrogated. And she said, looking back on that, she said, you know, when I first, that first started, she said, I was scared. I was apprehensive. But she said, you know what? As that thing began to unfold, I got more and more. It just like all the words just came to me. And they were asking questions like, so what is sin? What's this? What's that? And she said, I had a chance to really explain the gospel and explain the truth to people who just didn't seem to really know what was going on. And that's exactly what Jesus said is going to happen. When we get called on the carpet for this stuff, he says, I'll give you the words. I'll give you those words that was words of wisdom, and you're going to be my representatives in those situations. And he says, a brother will betray his brother to death. A father will betray his own child, and children will rebel against their parents and cause them to be killed. And everyone will hate you because you are my followers, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. I'm old enough to remember when being a Christian was a popular thing. And people actually like went to church because it was an advantage to them, like for their businesses and stuff. And Jesus is going, hey, that's not going to be something that's going to keep happening. It's going to start going, and people are going to get really hostile. Think of you as the bad guys, as the enemies, and come against you. And then we come to the second thing, and it's the big, big thing. And this is the abomination that causes desolation. Now, if you ever read the book of Daniel and the prophecies of Daniel, this is terminology that's used back then. 
Uh, and Jesus is reflecting that, that teaching right here. And the word abomination is used in the Bible exclusively as an object of false worship. This is what it, it, it always points toward. So something that's worshipped in place of God. It's an abomination. It's a hateful thing, not from the point of view of, its, of followers of this false religion or false object, but from God's point of view. He's going, this is terrible. I hate this because it's drawing people away from the real source of life, the only real hope, and it's taking them, and it's appealing so much to them that they're going to be lost to what is really going to save them. And the word desolation is great destruction. So an object of false worship that causes great destruction. And he says, the day is coming when you will see the abomination that causes desolation standing where he should not be. And then Mark interjects parenthetically. He goes, reader, pay attention. Then those in Judea, that's southern Israel, must flee to the hills. He's going, get out of town. It's going to be bad times here. A person out on the deck of a roof must not go down into the house to pack. A person out in the field must not return even to get a coat. How terrible it will be for pregnant women and for nursing mothers in those days. It's going to be tough times in Israel right here. He says, and pray your flight will not be in winter. That's the time of the worst weather. And he's saying, for there will be greater tribulation in those days than at any time since God created the world, and it will never be so great again. This is a word, tribulation, that's typically used for persecution of believers. In fact, unless God shortens that time of calamity, not a single person will survive. But for the sake of his chosen ones, he has shortened those days. It's like there's going to be really intense pressure on believers. And God himself is going to go, okay, that's enough. Let's bring this thing uh, to an end right here. But a really harsh persecution of believers. And he says, then if anyone tells you, look, Here's the Messiah, or there he is. Don't believe it, for false messiahs and false prophets will rise up and perform signs and wonders so as to deceive, if possible, even God's chosen ones. Watch out. I've warned you about this ahead of time. It's going to be a time when even as believers, people who know the Bible are going to go, but maybe this is the real thing. You know, maybe this is, maybe, maybe this is right. It's going to be very deceptive. It'll cause us a lot of questions in our minds. And he's going like, because there's going to be like miracles that are going to be done in the name of this particular object of false worship. You know, just to maybe clarify it a little bit, we can look at what Paul, the way Paul writes about it in 2 Thessalonians 2. And uh, he goes, don't be fooled by what they say, for the return of Jesus will not occur until there is a great rebellion against God and the man of lawlessness is, is revealed, the one who brings destruction. He's using that same kind of terminology, isn't he? He will exalt himself and defy everything that people call God and every object of worship. He will even sit in the temple of God claiming that he himself is God. This man will come to do the work of Satan with counterfeit power and signs and miracles. He will use every kind of evil deception to fool those on their way to destruction. 
because they refuse to love and accept the truth that would save them. It's almost like people are going, I don't want to follow Jesus. This is just, it just doesn't make sense to me. It's just like too hard or whatever people's objections are. It seems to go against what everybody is saying around me. And so this guy's going to step into that breach and he's going to be the object of their worship. Uh, in Revelation, John uh, records this from Jesus. And the beast was allowed to wage war against God's holy people and conquer them. And he was given authority to rule over every tribe and people and language and nation. And all the people who belong to this world worship the beast. You know, I, I think there's three things that we can see in, in these words. One is that this anti-Christian power will be the strongest political and economic power ever seen. I mean, we've seen guys try to build empires, right? We've seen, you know, there was Napoleon. There was like the Roman Empire. Um, there was Hitler and his attempts. There was Stalin and the big empire, the Russian Empire that was going there. But he, this is going to be worldwide. It's going to be huge. It's going to be something that we've never seen the scope of before. And... <laughs> You know, I'm going to talk about Taylor Swift for a minute here. I'm not saying this is a candidate right here, right? But I was thinking about this. She's a billionaire. I mean, she's like unbelievably popular. And even if you like make a joke about her boyfriend, people get real mad, you know? I mean, and I'm thinking, what does this take? I mean, you write some songs, you sit, get out there and wear your swimming suit and sing to people. <laughs> And you can make a billion dollars. Why didn't I think of that, you know? But I'm going like, what is this showing us? You know what I think it shows us? I think it shows us that there's a lack of anybody to look up to these days. Don't you think? There's a real vacuum in terms of, like, uh, heroes. You know, it's like our leaders just are disappointing. You know, and it's like, I, you know, I had a question. We had this uh, mock election debate at school on Friday, and my class was part of this. We were, we're Florida, right? Uh, so we're in there, and they asked the candidates, they go, who is it that you have been inspired by? And you could tell that was a hard question for them. You know, like one of them said, um, I'm inspired by you, the people. You know, going, that's pretty lame. But you could tell <laughs> he, he, couldn't, he couldn't think of anybody. You know, one kid said, George Washington. You know, and the kids are going, what? <laughs> you know, so it's, it's like we're, and if people see some, and think of this guy, he's doing like supernatural things, and he's saying all this right stuff, and he seems to win everything that he, that he goes after. It's like people go, yeah, 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 you know, and they're going to fall for this, I think, pretty easily. You know, also, I think we can conclude the Jewish nation will be in danger. Like Jesus says, get out of town, you know. And the church at the time of Jesus' return will be a church of martyrs. You know, it's going to be a tough time for believers. And then Jesus now gets to his return. And um, he says, at that time, after the anguish of those days, the sun will be darkened, the moon will give no light, the stars will fall from the sky, and the powers in the heavens will be shaken. Then everyone will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds with great power and glory. See, Jesus is saying, look at if this guy is here on earth and he's got his big earthly empire. It's not the guy. 
He's going, I'm going to come in the clouds. And he, he's talking in the third person about himself. And he will send his angels to gather his chosen ones from all over the world, from the farthest ends of the earth and heaven. And it's going to be a time where believers are going to be taken out to be with the Lord. Uh, in, in 1 Thessalonians 4, Paul says this. He goes, then together with them, those who have died in the Lord, we who are still alive and remain on the earth will be caught up in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Then we will be with the Lord forever. And, you know, and since the Middle Ages, this has been called the rapture. And the reason is the Latin translation of the Greek is that word rapturo, you know, which means to be like taken out, caught up to be with the Lord. Talking about how fast that's going to be, just in the twinkling of an eye, we'll be changed into our perfect bodies as followers of the Lord and join him in the clouds and meet the Lord in the air. It's, it's just going to be like, wow, okay, it was worth it. You know, all this tough time and standing firm against the whole tide of history and the whole tide of the times. And the Lord goes, yes, you were faithful. You're joining me right here. And so he, he closes this chapter with a warning and a promise. And uh, he says in verse 28, now learn a lesson from the fig tree. When its branches bud and its leaves begin to sprout, you know that summer is near. In the same way, when you see all these things taking place, you can know that his return is very near, right at the door. You know, that's why I think it's such a timely thing for us to hear this, this chapter today. And he says, I tell you the truth, this generation will not pass from the scene before all these things take place. You know, you look at that line, and I'm going, this generation won't? Now, this word is translated, this Greek word is translated generation here. If we think about it in terms of the generation that Jesus is talking to there, well, they all passed away, right? I mean, that was 2,000 years ago. But the word is also translated race. And this is just my opinion here, but I think he's making a promise, and he's saying, look at the Jews are not going to pass away as a race until all these things are accomplished. They're going to be able to hang in there as a distinct people group. And he's going, look at heaven and earth will disappear, but my words will never disappear. He says, you can take this to the bank. And if you think about all the hostility toward Jews going on right now, like here was an example just this week from an Ivy League campus where this student was going, I'm going to massacre all the Jews, and he had the stuff to do it. You know, and when people hear about what happened, those attacks by Hamas, and mobs are yelling, you know, gas the Jews, gas the Jews, it's just reflective of centuries and centuries of hatred and persecution of the Jews, right? I mean, Hitler tried to wipe them out. Stalin killed millions. You know, one after another uh, attempts like this. And then you think about how the Jews through the years have been dispersed through the nations. And you would have thought that they would have just assimilate and kind of disappear as a distinct people group. And yet against all the odds, they've survived as a group. And Jesus says, I think he's saying here, they will not pass away. That's a sign until all these things are accomplished. And there's a lesson for you and me today. He says, however, no one knows the day or hour when these things will happen. Not even the angels in heaven or the Son himself. Only the Father knows. 
I think Jesus is speaking here as someone who had laid down, like it says in Philippians 2, his supernatural power. At this point, he himself was even unaware. Um, and it says, and since you don't know when that time will come, be on guard, stay alert. The coming of the Son of Man can be illustrated by the story of a man going on a long trip. When he left home, he gave each of his slaves instructions about the work they were to do. And he told the gatekeeper to watch for his return. You too must keep watch, for you don't know when the master of the household will return. In the evening, at midnight, before dawn, or at daybreak, don't let him find you sleeping when he arrives without warning. I say to you what I say to everyone, watch for him. You see his imagery there? He's saying, look, it's going to be sleepy time, so to speak. In other words, it's going to be difficult to really stay alert and watch. But I looked up this word watch here. Like, what is he talking about? Don't let him find you sleeping. I say to everyone, watch for him. And there's like six different words for watch, but this is a word that means literally chase sleep away. Force yourself to stay awake here because of what you're intent on. And I thought just a perfect example of this was in a book that I just finished called Fly Girl. This is a book of, uh, by Ann Hood, who's a novelist, but she spent many years as a flight attendant. And she uh, joined uh, TWA, Transworld Airlines, which I think has been absorbed into American Airlines by now. But back in the day, they were big time, right? They flew a lot of international. She was one of 7,000 that tried out in, you know, to be uh, a flight attendant. They called them stewardesses in, the, in those days, 7,000 women. 500 of them made the cut. She was one. But they had super strict rules. Like back in the day, you had to maintain your weight. And they would sometimes, when you deplaned, they would take you and weigh you right there. And if you were like two pounds over, they'd fire you on the spot. That was for cause. Yeah, believe it or not. They had rules for makeup. They had rules for the way you were supposed to wear your professional uniform, um, the way you were supposed to have you know, the attitude you were supposed to project toward customers are very, very strict. And when she first uh, got in, she had low seniority, so she couldn't like bid and get the routes that you know, she would have preferred. She was on reserve. So they gave her a pager. And they go like, look, you're in Logan at Logan Airport or near that in Boston. That's where you're based. And you've got to have this pager on 24-7. And when that pager goes off and they need somebody, you've got one hour to get to the airport or you're done. You know, and that is what it means to watch. It's like you are your intent upon your job. You've got something that you have been called to do and you've got to be faithful to do it. And I think this is what Jesus is saying right here. He's going, look, I have bought you, I've redeemed you, I have my eye on you, and I don't want to lose you. But I want you to stay focused on what I've called you to do and faithful to continue to do that and be faithful to the end. And don't back down, don't waver, don't go with the crowd. You, you keep following me faithfully. He, I, I think he's saying this is life and death stuff. So you and I need to be, first of all, paying attention, not getting distracted, not sitting, being like the people who just scroll through their phones through life, you know, and just getting distracted by all the entertainments and all the other stuff out there, but to go like, hey, this is what's really important. And then trusting what he's told us, 
standing on God's word, not just not wavering like or selling out like so many have done. Like Jesus in the accounts of Matthew, he says, so many are going to fall away from the faith in those days. And then being about his business, just faithful to do the tasks that he's called us to do. Maybe he's called you to take care of kids. You know, maybe he's told you to, to work at the hospital or to, to work at the bank or to be someone who is talking with your neighbor about, what, you know, about the things of God or to be faithfully praying you know, um, many minutes during a day for, for others who are around you and people who are in need, whatever that is. Whatever he's called us to be about his business. I flash back to the book of Haggai in the Old Testament where he says, you know, you're so busy building your own houses, you don't have time to build mine. And he's going, I want you to be about my business and building my house. And I believe that's what God is calling us to do, to be faithful workers in his kingdom, standing on his word, trusting in his promises, and keeping our eyes on Jesus. So let's pray. Lord, as, uh, as we come to you this morning, there's just some awareness, I think, on all of our parts that things are ramping up and that uh, maybe some of these things that, that you've shared with us in Mark 13 are going to be seen uh, by us uh, in our time. And Lord, I, I would just pray for us to be faithful, to be people who are you know, taking your word seriously and the responsibilities that you've called us to seriously. Lord, keep each one of us faithful. You, you've said, be faithful unto death, and I'll give you a crown of life. And I pray for each one of us that we would receive that crown of life. And thank you, Jesus, for making that possible. Amen. Thanks for listening. For more information about Community of Hope, go to www.cohchurch.com. God bless you today.